0: Morning. morning. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday morning celebration. So happy, overjoyed, um, ecstatic, whatever word you want to use, to be here today celebrating uh, the resurrection of our Lord. This is the day that we celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord. Um, good Friday was good. Because Sunday came. And uh, we're so thankful for that. Uh, just as something to consider, uh, the reason we worship on Sunday and not Saturday is because the early church from the beginning, pretty much after the resurrection of Jesus, saw Sunday as the Lord's day. They celebrated it as the, the day that the Lord rose from the grave. And so as believers, we have kept up that most sacred tradition in every Sunday celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. Today we have set aside a special time for that and to that I am thankful. Uh, If you are here for the first time in a while or the first time uh, we are uh, just going we're going to be continuing in our series in Romans. Uh, You've missed a lot of that but I think that by the God's providence and grace, we have ended Romans 11 on a verse that I believe are a group of verses that are fitting for today. And although this is a part of a larger series, I believe that you will be able to catch right up because it is um, it is sort of a standalone uh, in meaning and thought. Uh, we've been going through Romans 11 over the last few months and... What we have seen in Romans 11 is that God is faithful to his plan, that his covenants and his plans are irrevocable, that he does what he wants to do, and it is completely and wholly good through that. We have seen that God still has a plan, a future plan for his chosen nation uh, to be saved, to be redeemed, just like he has had a plan for the Gentiles and we have learned that through that God in his divine nature is perfect and good and right and he is worthy of all of the adoration our little human hearts can muster we have seen his love and his grace in the way he has helped us understand him better through Romans 9 as it pertains to his keeping of his people, Paul uh, comes to this end of Romans, excuse me, I said Romans 9, Romans 11. Paul comes to this uh, ending of Romans 11, and he can only praise God. He can only point to the goodness of God, to the goodness of god 's character and praise him. Remember Paul in Romans nine, which is why I said Romans nine. Paul in Romans nine has or earlier in Romans, excuse me, all confused, has looked at his people and said, "I would give up my salvation if only they would be saved." and Romans nine through eleven has been a story of God how God has been faithful throughout history to keep his plan and his salvation true. So now Paul, who has said earlier, I would give up my salvation so that my people could be saved, he understands deeply, because of the character and the nature of God, that God has a plan for Paul's people. And so the only result is for Paul, the only result is for a Christian today, adoration for the goodness of God now we have discussed what is God's motivation in keeping his plan God's motivation in keeping his plan and everything else is first and foremost his glory he wants to get the most magnification of his bright glory and therefore he will do everything within his will and his plan to see that true but something we've also discussed and I think Paul brings about today for us and we'll discuss more is that God is true to his nature he cannot deny himself and so he is true to his nature he is true to his character he is true To himself. And so, what I would like to do is, I would like to spend the rest of our Resurrection Sunday exploring God's wisdom in salvation and how that relates to who he is. Would you pray with me this morning that God would open our hearts and minds to his word? Lord, you are faithful to yourself, and that is all we need to know. Because in you is love and mercy and kindness and goodness and wisdom and knowledge and peace and joy and happiness, and you are good to you are true to all of those things about yourself and more. You are omniscience, your omnipotence, your omnipresence. You are true to those things. And if that's all we know about you, it's enough to trust you through the eons, throughout eternity. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. To surrender our lives to you. Because you are worthy. You are worthy. Thank you, Lord. For your death. But thank you even more that in your power, death could not keep you. And you are alive forevermore. And if we are in Christ, we also die to our old self, but will be, have been, and will be raised again to walk in a new life. What a message! For this Resurrection Sunday. What a message for every day of our lives. We love you, we praise you, we give you this morning. We pray and ask these things in your precious and holy and matchless name. Amen. One thing that must be certain to us by now is the deep and immense wisdom. Of God. The nature of God. Unsearchable, unknowable in its fullest sense. He is above us in every sense of the way. Isaiah 55, 8 says, His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. Therefore, the knowledge of God and the wisdom that follows is the highest form of learning. It's the highest form of knowledge assertion that anybody could hope for. Charles Spurgeon said, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom He calls Father. He argued that thinking about God improves our mind and expands it. As much as we know and have been indulged with the knowledge about God, we often do very little with it. We have all but lost our religious awe of the divine, holy, immutable, perfect, matchless, all-wise, all-knowledgeable presence of God. The church is more prosperous than it has ever been. We have more money. We have more freedom. We have more programs for all walks of life. Every type of human is touched in some positive way by the church. And yet it is mostly external. When we worship, we typically worship thinking about what God has done for us. But that is not what Paul does in this instance. When Paul is brought to the ultimate form of worship, he is not going to repeat to the Lord in praise what God has done for us, but he repeats to the Lord in praise who God is. We have lost our sense of all. And that has degraded the moral character of man and even has extended to believers. Nothing is sacred anymore. We can't make it through a worship service without talking or passing a note, without checking our phones, without planning lunch or some other distraction. We would crawl over broken glass to make sure our schedule is clear to do something that we love to do, but we would eliminate church from our daily lives at the slightest inconvenience. The slightest scratchy throat or change in our schedule, even waking up on the wrong side of the bed And the most sacred time of the week for us is thrown out the window. You don't believe me? Just consider how some of us acted this past year. If you can make it to the gym or to restaurants, but not to Sunday morning gathering, there is a serious problem. Exercise does profit some. We need physical sustenance for the body, but spiritual exercise profits completely. And we need spiritual sustenance that I believe only comes from connection to the body of Christ. Now, there are a thousand other examples that we might be able to use from this past year to prove the point. But this is Resurrection Sunday, so I'll go easy on all of us. See, we see things of God as valuable, but not that valuable. All of this has happened because we have either lost our sense of awe or it has been impeded in some way. And friends, no one, no one, absolutely no one can rise higher than their idea of God. The greatest perpetuators of this are the people who are running churches. And I find myself guilty of this at times. We have spent the last half century trying to dumb down God to people's level. Jesus is my homeboy. He is my co-pilot. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. I just want to chill with Jesus. He hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. Or uh, I'm free to be me. Or whatever Caleb's song is dumb these days. He hung, he hung out with the people of this world. That's the Jesus I know. We have done everything to dumb down God to our level. But we must not be confused. God is not like us. We are like Him if we belong to Him and hopefully ever more increasingly. But He is not like us. Psalm 50.21 says, "These These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And then we see what Paul introduces today. Here, Paul is trying to restore what some of us, what on a a consistent basis, all of us have probably lost. If we can only go as high as our view of God in our spiritual life, then that should scare us to death. But if we develop a lofty view of the Lord, then the fruits that he will bring us is limitless the fruit he will bring us is limitless the lofty view of God then is the only way to see him it makes Easter and every other Sunday every other bit of communion that we can have with him true and valuable a lofty view of the Lord puts the gospel in proper perspective so when we look at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus we see it in a completely different light I want us to look today at two main thoughts that Paul is reinforcing from our text to help us gain a higher perspective of a God who will will ultimately lead us to trusting his gospel. We gain this perspective by, I think, not by just seeing what God has done for us or can do for us, but by seeing who God is. The first idea that we need to look at today is that we must trust in the gospel because God is infinite in wisdom. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The depths and the riches of of the wisdom and knowledge of God the gospel of Jesus Christ is unlike anything the world has ever known and so it is difficult for Christians and it is especially difficult for non-Christians to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and to receive it and even after Christians receive it by the calling of this Holy Spirit it is Even difficult to receive it in a very personal and real and practical way. We have to work really hard to deny ourselves, to surrender our own life, and to follow the Lord. The gospel is unlike anything that we know. It is because a God with infinite and perfect knowledge, infinite and perfect wisdom, created it. And we are finite and we are imperfect. So we look at God and we say, how could God keep his covenant after countless failures on the part of his people? How can he do that? We look at ourselves fully, fully saved by the Lord and we say, how could he forgive me? Or how could I how could I grow in him? How could I be like this person or like this person? I want to be more spiritual, but there's no way it is because. We have a limited and finite view of what God can do. And He is perfect in wisdom and knowledge and action. To convince us further that God is able, that the Gospel is true, Paul does not point to what he what the lord has done but who he is when we develop a high lofty position on the character and nature of god the possibilities for the believer are limitless but we are we can only go as high we can only go as far as our view of god so what characteristics does paul seem to think are most worthy of praise in this passage the first is he knows everything and not in the sense that frustrates you about me he's not a know it all he's perfect in knowledge oh the depths and riches of the knowledge of God Paul quotes Isaiah 40 who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor I would ask you then does God know all things thank you I really expected a little more unison from that. Does God know all things? Yes. Nothing can be hidden from God. If you're a part of an MC that still does catechism, I don't know how many uh, of them do. I hope all of them. And after today, if not, we all get back to it. Um, If you're a part of an MC that still does catechism, you should know that. And you should respond to that. He is perfect in knowledge, does God know all things? Yes, nothing nothing can be hidden from God. He is perfect in knowledge. He knows all things, and He knows them exhaustively. Our knowledge is partial. Our knowledge is foiled by mortality. His knowledge should cause all of us to fear. It should cause some healthy, reverent fear. But often, what we do instead of fear, instead of reverence, instead of worship, we ignore this truth a God who forgives a God who loves a God who is my friend I can get down with but a God who knows every detail of my heart and my mind is a different problem altogether nothing can be hidden from God and friends all of us every person in this room saved or unsaved will not escape the judgment of God on that final day we will all be judged in some way. But also, friends, the opposite side of that is what immense hope and joy it should be to give a, or should give a believer to know that God is perfect in knowledge about me and he still saves me. He knows my heart. He knows my mind. He knows every indiscretion in my life. And yet, His love and grace and mercy is still greater than all of that. It's not just greater than our sin. It's greater than all of our thoughts. All the things that run through our hearts and our mind, they should give the Christian immense joy to understand. That is the fullness of our salvation. If He is perfect in knowledge... He knew that we were wretch before we were a wretch. He knew we were a wretch before we were even matter. And yet, He saved a wretch like you, like me. What a Gospel! Where the God of the Gospel knows every detail intimately. And He doesn't hoard it over like a parent who doesn't really practice full wisdom, but He uses it to grow us, to make us more into the image of His Son. God is not only perfect in knowledge, but He is also perfect in wisdom. And that's the second characteristic Paul points out. His knowledge makes His wisdom immensely rich. Your knowledge is the bank of what you know, right? Your knowledge is your mental bank account of what you know it's everything you know well if knowledge is the bank account what we know wisdom is the ability to invest wisdom is how we use that knowledge to get the most desired result it is knowing what to do with knowledge so that the highest and moral end is most moral end is accomplished all of Romans is really, then, how God displays his wisdom in salvation. In Romans 1 through 4, it talks about his justification. Yes, we are wretched. Yes, we are unable to save ourselves. Yes, there is no one who seeks after God. But God had a plan in his infinite knowledge and his infinite wisdom to satisfy the demands of his justice and still save us. Romans 1. Chapters 1 through 4. Romans chapter 5 through 8. Chapters 5 through 8. Not only has God, in his infinite knowledge and wisdom, developed a perfect plan to save his children, he has also developed a perfect plan to make them more like his son. Romans 5 through 8 is about our sanctification, our becoming more like him. And then Romans 9 through 11 is how God has operated consistently throughout history. Perfect in knowledge. Perfect in wisdom. Being perfect in knowledge obviously gives God the best route to perfect wisdom. So how does this wisdom relate? How does this wisdom of God relate to uh, the Gospel? You need to hear this. You need to hear this. You may not have thought about this way. You may have thought about it this way a thousand times, but you need to hear this. God ran His cosmic algorithm with his perfect and complete knowledge, with his perfect and complete wisdom, he ran his cosmic algorithm in his head and he thought of every possible solution to the condition of man. He thought of every possible way that man might be saved. And he came up with Jesus as the solution. As being infinite in wisdom, being infinite in knowledge, Jesus was the perfect solution. When every route, every avenue was uh, discussed, or was determined and discussed and thought through, Jesus was the solution. Hey friends, God thought about works, and He decided that it wasn't good enough to save you. So why don't we stop? Why don't we stop pursuing works? He thought about being a good enough person. Being a church attender. He thought about reading our Bible as a means of saving us. And yet, he still chose Jesus. You think if God had to sacrifice His Son, He would have chose any other way if there were a viable option for the salvation of mankind. And yet, when put up against His Son, He saw and knew in His perfect and infinite plan that there was no other way. So let's stop. Let's stop trying to find it. Let's stop trying to accomplish salvation in any other way and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He knew every outcome of our life. Every outcome of every life. He knew every possible way of salvation. And yet, He still chose Jesus. And friends, do you want to know the depths And the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He knew everything about you. He knows everything about you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, He knew you. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows us in intimate detail. And yet, salvation is still a free gift offer to you. you, you, That is the depths that is the immense riches of God. And it is not about us. It is about the character and nature of God. He is perfect in knowledge, complete, therefore, every decision he makes, is the most wise decision. Why, why is the goodness of God and why He saves and who He saves so foreign to us? I think it brings up the third idea that Paul brings about. His judgment, judgments and His ways are unknowable. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. Who are we, friends, to question God? Who are we to doubt His character? His judgments are unsearchable. Paul uses a word here for His ways. They are untraceable. You can't track Him. You can't follow Him. Because we are limited. We don't have enough knowledge to produce the same wisdom that He has. We can never be a wise judge like Him. We could never direct a path as pure and as true as He does. And it is because He has one purpose and one goal and it has been fixed since the beginning. He does not get distracted by the ways of the world, by the variation of society by the changing of the culture. With God, there is no history, so it's impossible for him to be on the wrong side of it. Because he is eternal, he does not act in time, so nothing can be hidden from him. And he does it all for his glory. Completely separate from how it affects us. Now because He loves us. Because He's intimate with us. He cares about how it affects us. But He will accomplish His glory. And His purpose. He is able to do all that He pleases. Without encumbrance from man. When He, purpose, when he purposes to do something. It is absolute and without condition therefore his decrees are effective nothing happens without his knowledge or without his permission now that might be bring a problem up for you because sin enters has entered into the world to that I would say God uh, is not an accessory to sin but he is permissive he allows sin so that when we surrender to him it will be a voluntary redemption he allows sin because we are not robots controlled by him every step of the way he does not cause sin but he permits it but everything that he wills everything that it is in his plan everything that is in that perfect path that untraceable path will come to pass which I ask you friends would you have it any other way would you want to serve any other God would you want to serve a God who is not perfect in knowledge who is not infinite in wisdom who is traceable who is findable who is knowable in the most uh, perfect sense I serve a God whose judgments cannot be judged to the bottom and whose paths cannot be followed to the end. And the glory of all of that is because we don't judge like He does, because we certainly would not act like He does, He has used the worst lives to display His full glory, His purpose, and His plan. Abraham, on multiple occasions, told other world leaders that he, as he traveled, that his wife was his sister, so that the other world leaders would sleep with his wife and that he could save his own life. And yet, the nation of God was built on the back of Abraham. Moses struck the rock instead of doing what God commanded, and yet he led the people to the Promised Land. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet countless times we are, we see the falls and the issues with David's life. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a man who, with the heart of God, often did what the heart of David wanted. Paul was a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. I placed Jesus on the cross. And so did you. And yet God in His infinite wisdom and knowledge uses the most vile. He uses imperfect. He uses the worst displays of holiness to to make holy and display His glory. The fullness of His purpose and His plan. I don't fully get it. And it's certainly not how I would do it. But God is perfect in knowledge and wisdom. His ways are not my ways. His judgments are not my judgments. His path I cannot trace. And for that, as it pertains to my salvation, as it pertains to the glory of the Lord, and it pertains to how I grow in Him. for that, I am ever more thankful. The last thing I want to present to you today is this idea from Paul. One more thought from Paul in Romans 11. We must trust in the Gospel because God is infinite in being. He is not only infinite in His character, but He is infinite infinite in His being. For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen." He is everything. He is everywhere. But He is distinct from everything in creation. He has and will eternally exist. He has no creator. And as Paul quoted from Job, no one has given a gift to God that he must repay. He is all-knowing, all-wise, unsearchable, and untraceable, and that is because he has eternally existed. And yet as unknowable as He is completely, friends, we are here today because He can be found. The God perfect in knowledge, the God perfect in wisdom, the God perfect in judgment, the God with the perfect path stepped out of heaven in the second Person of the Trinity, the Person of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth He lived a perfect life with wisdom, with knowledge, with proper judgment, with proper insight. Lived a perfect life. He was scorned and beaten and crucified for crimes he did not commit. He was nailed to the cross to take on the full fury and anger and hatred of God towards sin that belongs on our heads. Why? Because it brings him the most glory to save sinners. Because it is in His infinite and all-knowledgeable and all-wise plan to save sinners. But the beauty of the Gospel, friends, is that God did not stay dead. Because He is infinite in being, God raised Himself from the dead on that first resurrection morning. Because of that resurrection friends. We live in Christ. And the possibilities are limitless as to where he can take us in him. We have in us, if we are in Christ, the spirit of God. Who forms. With perfect knowledge, and perfect wisdom, and perfect judgments, He forms us into an image that brings Him perfect glory. If this is the image that Paul has about this great God, what else can he do at the end of Romans 11? But adore Him. Friends, I beg you. I implore you. If you are a Christian in here. Let's recoup. Let's recover. Our adoration. For the Lord. Let's recover the highest possible mindset. That we can have about Him. How do we do that? It's too simple, right? We pray that God would give us a mind of adoration. We pray that God would give us a mind that understands and seeks in all wisdom the greatest amount of glory for the Lord. But friends, how else do we do it it's vastly important. You've got to hear this. While we're waiting on God to answer that, we take the things that God considers holy and we consider them as holy. We make every effort to consecrate everything that God considers holy in our own lives. We make every effort to consecrate church gathering as holy in our own lives. We make every effort to consecrate prayer as holy in our own lives. We make every effort to consecrate Scripture, the the study of, the reading of, the study of, the memorization of Scripture as holy in our own lives. We take every effort to consecrate the communion of the saints in general fellowship as holy in our own lives. Every gift that God has given us, that is set apart for the body of Christ, we do, <coughs> we do everything that we can to consecrate as holy in our own lives. And here's the best one, friends, if we can get it down. Here's the best one. Not only do we pray, not only do we act, here's the best one. I promise you, half the world that professes Christ will not get this. We trust. We trust. It doesn't mean that you're, there will never be doubt. It doesn't mean there will never be indiscretion or failing or faltering. It means that all of our mental energy, all of our spiritual fortitude will be placed in putting our arms, our body, back into the arms of Jesus. I just, I want to be here, I want to rest. I want to be at your feet. I want to know of you. Until I get back to where you want me to be, I want to know of you. The easiest way to get back to Jesus, friends, is not to do, but to trust. But to trust. And we can do that because He is all wise. He, he's all wise because He is full of perfect knowledge. Knowledge. We can trust Him because His judgments are so much better than ours. His ways. Unsearchable. Untraceable. But through Christ, He is knowable. Through Christ, He is attainable. Access to Him is there but it doesn't come by doing God looked at every every possible source of salvation in perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom and guess what church attendance reading your Bible praying it didn't make the cut being a good person giving to charity didn't make the cut Trying to obey the Ten Commandments didn't make the cut. Being a good husband or a good wife or a father or a son or a daughter, it didn't make the cut. Jesus made the cut. And everything I mentioned before that is a result of the overflow of the Spirit of God living in us as Jesus has saved us. Every possible outcome he thought of. And Jesus was the one. Let's not try to do anything else. Let's let's not try to think of another one. Let's not try to create any more. Let's just simply pray that God would give us a heart like His. Formulate our life in a way that brings Him the most glory. But ultimately, just trust. Because He is worthy of trust. He is worthy of praise. He rose Himself from the dead that day so that today and forever we can raise and walk in newness of life. Will you pray with me? Lord God, what a message. What a message. That if we simply trust in the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God of the universe, that we too can receive the power of God unto salvation. If we are not willing to trust in this God, this one God, then this message of Jesus will be foolishness. The things of God will be foolishness. But if we trust in You, it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we praise You today We praise you today because you have looked at a wretch like me in perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom and you still chose to save me. I don't get it. I wouldn't save myself if I could. And yet you save me. You save us. I don't get it. But I'm not God, and you are, and we magnify your name because of that.